Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Balls Over the Top podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rock. And I'm your host, Brendan Collins, and we've got a wonderful week of sports to talk about. Yeah, a lot of really exciting things going on. It's been a pretty crazy week as we get into this December of 2020, and we got a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Why don't we just jump right on into things? We had match day five in the Europa League and the Champions League this past week. And we had some interesting games. A lot of these groups are really starting to take shape. You mm-hmm. know, group stage, four teams, usually this late in it, you have a really good idea of not only which teams are going to advance, you know, which ones are going to finish those top two spots and move on, but also what the seeding's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And right now, that's just not the case in a lot of groups. I mean, even the people who are secured, who have secured to go through to the next round, most of them, it's still up in the air whether or not they're going to finish with that top spot or the secondary spot, which has major implications on who they would play in the next round. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy for a match day five to only secure one team in all of the groups their ticket to the round of 16. And from from match day four to match day five, only one team solidified their place. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Absolutely. So, you know, coming out of match week four... We knew that Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Porto, Juventus, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Sevilla were going to get through. Mm-hmm. And you were pretty happy coming out of this week. I am pretty happy. It's why I was talking about it a little bit, because Dortmund punched their ticket. They got the 10 points. They're going to get out of their group. Now, whether or not they win their group remains to be seen. But, yeah, they're, I mean, but they're through. There are still, though, a lot of spots that are up in the air. Oh, yeah. You know, we look at Atletico Madrid just needs really a point, you know, some decent result that's not a loss against Red Bull Salzburg in order to get through. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we see that uh, Real Madrid, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Shakhtar, and Inter Milan, all four of those teams could easily still make it through. And, yeah, and all of them are in it still. Yeah. Elsewhere, we're going to see the match between Ajax, the Dutch powerhouse, and Italian side Atalanta with a lot on the line, as really it's going to be winner of that game goes through. Mm-hmm. Similar with Lazio and Club Bruges, and then we see that last group, kind of a group of death with yeah. Leipzig, Manchester United, and PSG all sitting at nine points. Leipzig and Man U will face each other, and then PSG and Istanbul facing off as well. Yeah, uh, Bastikas. So it's going to be a pretty interesting end of this Champions League. You know, match day six, normally there's not that much on the line, where in this case we're going to see a ton. I mean, even of those teams that have gone through, Barcelona and Juventus, the top seed, is still up in the air. Chelsea and Sevilla, the top seed, is still up in the air. Even Man City and Porto, the top seed, is still up in the air. And so I think it's really going to be a – it's really going to come down to the wire. It's going to be highly contested. But we can talk just a little bit about some of the past week match day action because I know you're probably bugging to talk about it. Yeah, well, Chelsea looked really good. I mean, they were playing against a Sevilla side that did rest a handful of starters. But so was Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea was not putting their best 11 out there. I I think from a lot of people, I mean, 
I also, though, don't know if Frank Lampard really knows or if Chelsea has a solidified best 11 right now. I no, mean, it's pretty liquid at the moment. In the back, it's it's kind of set. It seems like Chilwell's pretty well established himself with the first team. It seems like Reese James is kind of establishing himself on the on the right side. You know, yeah. Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma have been setting themselves apart as far as your best center back pairing. Well, or at least currently, but I know that could change at any moment, you know. But mm-hmm. currently they've been the most reliable. And then obviously goalkeeper, it's not even close. But once you get to that midfield and forwards, it's really anybody's game. And, and you know, it's an abundance of riches. It's a good problem to have, you know. In, the center defenseman spot's a little bit secured. Yeah, Conte with it? with the top, yeah, but Jorginho still gets some reps. Kovacic comes in. True. I mean, I, mean, it, it, I think you know. You know, there are still rumors that Conte might be on the move in January. So, following his Frenchman, you know, cohort who had a really good performance. Yeah, and so we did see against Sevilla, Olivier Giroud net four goals. Remarkable performance, becomes the oldest player. I'm surprised I didn't need forceps to try and draw that out of you. I set you up for that one like 30 times. Oh, I know. I was waiting. Why why could you not bring it out? We have so much to talk about. I I just, you know, the team's team's got a lot going on right now, and I think it is tough to base, you know, if you ask me if Olivier Giroud is the best striking option on Chelsea, I would say no, even though his production right now is insane so yeah unparalleled you know and and then against Sevilla I didn't want to take away from Chelsea's win given that Sevilla did rest so many people so that was big but overall I mean there's going to be a lot of exciting things I mean even now even with that dominating win you know Chelsea does still need some form of result to still guarantee that top slot in the group there's going to be some good competitive matches this week. Absolutely. Match day six is shaping up to be an exciting one. Moving over to the Europa League, we also have a... We had a bunch of teams punch their ticket. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously a, a bigger field over there in the Europa League. Mm-hmm. And I think there's... It into a round of 32. And I think there's a wider discrepancy in talent. I mean, when you look at... Uh, because of... Maybe not necessarily wider, because if you really look at the bottom cusp of teams in the Champions League compared to the top cusp of teams in the Champions League, it's huge. But then when you look at the bottom cusp of teams in the Europa League against the top teams in the Europa League, and it's immense. I mean, a lot of these teams feel like they shouldn't even... You you could have Leicester putting in literally their backup at every single position and still coming away with victories against like half of the teams in the Europa League. Uh, It's just... There are teams we've literally never heard of. And you and I are big fans of the sport, and there are teams we've literally never heard of. Where that's never the case in the Champions League. I don't think you're wrong, but I think be, I think part of that has to do more so with the larger field. Because remember, in the bottom of the Europa League, there's play-in matches mm-hmm. still. So I'd argue that per the volume of the competition there is more parity even though the the ends are further apart. Yeah, maybe. But I, I'm more just thinking of, like I said, there's a lot of teams we've never heard of. I mean, when you look at the Europa League groups, 
there are probably it's you could probably guess with a higher accuracy the teams that will advance out of the Europa League groups compared to the teams that will advance out of the Champions League groups. I'd argue it's closer it's closer towards like if you were to like plot it out like you'd have the Europa League as as a bell curve where you know it's top end is small mid-range talent is very high because you know if you're finishing fourth possibly in one league finishing first in another you might be closer to parity then I guess my point is, you know, you and I just went through a list right before the show of all the teams that are advancing in the Europa League. Yes. And, and pretty I, much we, I made a statement. Yes. And pretty much we only named teams that, that we, we could had, pronounce. But not only that, we only really were naming teams that we were aware of and that were prominent in Europe. Right. And because the prominent notable teams all made it out pretty mm-hmm. much. Right. And the non-prominent teams didn't. Well, the only place where we may not see that being the case, and even then, I shouldn't say either of these are non-prominent, but you know, in the group that we were going to talk about in a moment with Sociedad, Napoli, and AZ Alkmaar, maybe that's the closest thing to a group of death in this Europa League. Yeah. And that's the case where, okay, one of the teams that gets eliminated is going to be a relatively notable side. And I would, you would debate whether Alkmaar is really that well-known. You go to a more casual fan, even like a lot of people in our friend group, who I'm not going to necessarily throw out here. Cause yeah, you're not going to throw sense. anyone under the bus. But like, I could go up to them and say, do you know who Sociedad is? Yes. Do you know who Napoli is? Yes. Do you know who uh, AZ Alkmaar is? No idea. If you showed them the logo, they would probably know it, though. I don't know. It's. I mean, it. it's Dutch football. Dutch football is important. I mean, that's it's... It was the star talent pipeline for generations. You don't have to argue with me the importance of Dutch football. No, I know, what I I'm know. saying, I'm... though, is to a casual fan, Napoli is a major European club. Right, okay. Sociedad is a major European club. Yeah. And Alkmaar isn't. True. But either way, we came into last week, or came out of last week, uh, out of match day four, with really only a handful of teams having punched their ticket. Roma, Arsenal, Granada, Leicester, Villarreal, and TSG Hoffenheim. This week, though, that list got quite a bit bigger. Uh, and I'm ready for it. We've got Slava Prague, Bayern Leverkusen, Rangers, Benfica, PSV Eindhoven, Lille, AC Milan, Braga, Antwerp, Tottenham, Dynamo Zagreb, and Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, so it's been, you know, that list is... Pretty much, I don't want to say finalized. Like I said, there are still a few spots up in the air, but we were going through it, and there's maybe six or seven still spots that need to be punched. Mm-hmm. You know, Napoli, that Napoli, Sociedad, Alkmaar group, probably the most notable of the teams that really still have not, uh, you know, secured mm-hmm. moving on to the next round. There will be 24 games played on Thursday. Between roughly one o'clock, twelve fifty-five kickoff, and three p.m., so there will be a lot of good matches to watch, mm-hmm. and we look to see the rest yeah. of that ta- of those tables be sorted out. Don't burn out the batteries on your remote flipping around trying to find the game you want to watch or the game of the most action in the moment. Coming back to the domestic leagues, we saw match days across Europe have you know important standing implications. 
Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of big matches this week, but I got to say, like, overall, I feel like most of them went kind of how we would have expected. We saw a couple of little hiccups mm-hmm. here or there. With, a little, little you know, uh-ohs. But, teams know. causing them, themselves problems versus teams getting beaten or surprised by other teams. Yeah, but, you know, overall, there were it was a lot of what you would expect. In the Premier League... United had a huge second-half comeback after being down 1-0 against West Ham on the road. They've now won, I think, six games in a row on the road after trailing 1-0 at some point. Which means the fans are the problem for Manchester United. Yeah, so, I mean, that's exciting for them. This team has showed... But it's really been... It's been a team of, like, Jekyll and Hyde all season. I was going to say they showed some real attacking promise and real, you know, resilience coming back in that game, but... They're the type of team where had they come out the second half and performed exactly like they had the first half, which was lethargic, uninspired, non-creative. Sloppy. Sloppy. Nobody would have been that surprised. And so, you know, you they're, they got to be excited with the result. You know, they're, they're looking to hopefully move through in the Premier, or in the Champions League, rather. But, you know, they had to bring Bruno Fernandes in off the bench. They had to bring Marcus Rashford in off the bench. Two guys they were hoping they were going to let rest through this weekend to have them fresh for this big matchup against Leipzig tomorrow. Elsewhere, we saw Chelsea with a pretty dominant performance against Leeds. Christian Pulisic netted the final goal. It was pretty exciting for him. Yeah, you know, Chelsea went down 1-0 early to Patrick Bamford, and then they pretty much just went off after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were looking they were looking the better side almost the entire game. Can I ask you, does, does Timo Werner's trouble with his front-of-net presence, missing a couple, like, sitters, a couple really good plays that he just didn't get the last touch on? He, I mean, he did very well in build-up play. He was putting himself in very good attacking positions. Do you think it's just going to come? Do you think it's... I think he'll get there. He's been putting himself in phenomenal positions, making all the right runs, getting himself in the position to score the goals, and then just not finishing. And it's happened a lot this year. matter of fact, I've been finding myself during games being like, wow, I didn't know Timo Werner missed this many chances. You know, I don't think he normally does, whether it's cold feet, whether it's... You know the butterflies playing for a, playing in England, or maybe it's just a you know a slump, your good old fashioned slump. Yeah. You know, but I think he gets out of it, and the amount he's contributing to the team elsewhere. I mean, he had the assist on the Pulisic goal. He his pace and his movement opens up so much for that team on the attack that even if he doesn't find that scoring touch. I'm not really concerned, and he's still in my 11 pretty much every opportunity he can be, but I think it's going to pass. We saw Liverpool absolutely dominate the Wolves, scoring four goals. So Wolves, nothing. Yeah, shutting them out, and, you know, this is a Liverpool team that's also been inconsistent. They've been inconsistent in the Champions League as well as in the domestic league. They're absolutely riddled with injury at the center-back position, and I got to imagine it feels really good for them to actually uncork a few. I mean, they, you know, defensively is where we've been pointing the finger, but they haven't really been scoring goals either. I mean, no. other than Diego Jota, 
who has been a huge bright spot for that team and pro- arguably the best transfer in the league this year. Mm-hmm. They they have you know their reliable guys, Bobby Firmino, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, really haven't been producing at the caliber that we've become accustomed to seeing them produce. No, I'm. I think they can turn it around, and, and I think this is a big sign of that. I mean, this Wolves side is not to be taken lightly. They've been playing really good football of late, mm-hmm. but I do think it's going to be interesting to see how they perform. I really wish Chelsea didn't play them so early in the year when they didn't have those injuries and, and all that because, you know, and we, and we played them before our new transfers were really acclimated, you know, that game, all I think of with that game is Andreas Christensen choke slamming somebody to the ground and getting sent off in the first half. And so it would be, I wish we could play them now, or I would love to see what Liverpool would do against a team that is playing good football at the moment, like the Spurs, like maybe Man City. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting. The only other thing I do want to comment about on the Premier League side before we jump to the other leagues mm-hmm. is. Paul Pogba came out today adamant that he has no interest in being involved with United in any capacity. And I thought that was neat. Uh, Not neat, but noteworthy. I mean, Paul Pogba, at one point, most expensive footballer in the world. And it just seems like his marriage with Man United has, has been rocky from the start. Yes, he has won some trophies there, but for the price tag and the drama, I don't know if it's been worth it. I also did forget to mention, I know I talked about them briefly, but the Spurs pulled off a 2-0 victory over Arsenal in the North London Derby, and that keeps them atop the Premier League for now. Mm-hmm. Mourinho putting together another masterclass. Scoring goals and parking the bus, that's what he does. It wins games. It, it, like, you know, some people get upset. It's not the beautiful football. It's not the Pep Guardiola or the or Jurgen Klopp's transition attack. It's it's tactical, earned football, and it doesn't doesn't get a lot of love. But pretty, it's pretty impressive to watch. It's continued success. Popping on over to Italy, we saw a pretty predictable weekend of games. Juventus came back to beat... We, we, hold on. We saw definitely what we thought the results were going to be. How they got there was pretty interesting. This is true. I mean, you were, definitely you were, Juventus you were had... sweating a couple of Juventus years. had the big comeback, uh, and that was major... Inter, though, on the other hand, never really seemed to be all that bothered. Mm. Hakimi looked really fantastic in that win against Bologna. He's looking like he might be the new cut inside man. The guy who can just blow past everybody on the right-hand side, cut in, crack a shot. Yeah, slotted away with the left foot. He did it twice. He did it on both of his goals. Yeah. So that 3-1 result was huge. I mean, Inter trying to stay on pace with AC Milan up at the top of the table. Roma was held to a 0-0 draw in what was maybe the most surprising result of the day 
But when you saw that Pedro was sent off in the first half and they were played the entire second half down a man, the result becomes a little bit less surprising. Well, Even despite that, they were still, you could argue, had the majority of the scoring chances, at least in the first 75, 80 minutes. In the last 10 minutes, though, uh, Susulo really did have a couple of scares. I mean, R- Roma, yeah. there, there were some post hits. There was a goal at one point scored by Susulo that was ruled off for being marginally offside. Yeah, he uh, was still offside, it but was, it was... It was a foot... It was enough that you could see it on the instant replay yeah, I mean, and be the, like, oh, that's On the real offsides. time, both you and I went, he looked offsides. But it was still very close. It was real close. We did see a big blowout in the Napoli-Crotone game, mm-hmm. including two goals by Irving Lozano, who's having himself a great season. Yeah, the uh, the Mexican international has been a very good player for Napoli. He's got a ton of speed on the wing. He has a very good touch. He can distribute from outside the box. He can also get enough motion on the ball to really distribute well inside the box. And he can put shots on target, and they go in. Yeah, it's a good trait to have. Yeah, he's an impressive, impressive youngster for him. And I know I mentioned them briefly a second ago, but we did see AC Milan keep their pace, stay at the top of the league, getting a, a little bit closer than they would have liked, but a 2-1 to victory over Sampdoria. Again, continuing to hold on up top of the league there, fending off the other big clubs in Italy. I mean, with Juventus' struggles, it's been a little bit easier, but that inner team has also been really playing inspired football. So yeah. uh, it, it's becoming a really entertaining season to watch, and I'm excited to see how it you know, the unfolds a, down the stretch. could really be one of the most competitive leagues coming down the stretch. I mean, we've, we're getting good performances out of well, I mean, all the teams we just mentioned. All of them have, have had... Pretty good starts this season have been fairly impressive. It'll it'll be really interesting to see where this league uh, winds up. But we can move over to the Bundesliga because match day ten action saw a little bit of shaking up at the top of the table. Bayern remained on top after a three three draw with Red Bull Leipzig. If you liked goals, this was a game to watch because they came in bunches. Saw people on. You saw the forwards score. You saw midfielder score. You saw the wingback score. You, everybody was getting involved in this game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. It just seemed like they were lighting up the score sheet every every couple of minutes. Mm. I mean, no lead seemed safe. Uh, you know, it was constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron Leverkusen moved to second place because they get the free win playing Schalke. Yeah, Schalke still can't get it together. It's been, it's it's bad getting worse. I mean, like for as far as like relegation seasons go, you expect devastating injury. You know, you expect club financial problems to really take over before a season. You 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 think of infighting and and outside football issues that really caused this dramatic of a collapse. And it is kind of just a whimpering, just a, a slowly fading out of this top flight of German football. And it's sad. Three points. It's match day 10. You have three points. 
three draw. You haven't won a game. It it, it could be calendar year since your last win. That's I mean it's it's bad. Yeah, I mean they do have the benefit of the fact that there are still four teams other than them that are sitting at under 10 points through match day 10 it does mean with just a couple of victories if they could string two or three results together they could find themselves kind of breathing a little bit easier but it is like you said there are no signs of that there are no signs of them turning the ship around and for a team with the history and the prestige and the following you know just all of it the financial you yeah the financial capabilities that they have and tools at their disposal i mean it shouldn't be it they shouldn't be in a position like this no speaking of probably shouldn't be in the position union berlin had a had a one goal lead and then get a red card in the 23rd minute, go down 10 men, and Hertha comes storming back in the second half, scoring three goals, and handedly taking that game right from that Union Berlin side that was so impressive. Yeah, you know, Union Berlin dropping the points, this would have kept them right on par with the top four. I mean, this would have kept them within a point of Dortmund, if that tells you anything. They've really been having an unbelievable season. You can't afford to drop those points, especially in a derby against the other Berlin side. Exactly. It's it's unacceptable. I didn't see the red card, so I, I don't know the validity of the call. Validity, yes. Need for it ta- in any kind of tactical capacity, no. Yeah, I mean, that's the type of play. that That's... Those are the types of plays that at the end of the year could could result in the difference in the standings and, and you know, a significant impact on even the possible financial ambitions of the club. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the money that you get from just making a Europa League or a, or a Champions League, it's, it makes a world of difference to clubs, especially in, in Germany with the 50 plus one rule and the way they have the you know financial fair play for 18 or i'm sorry 17 of the teams in the bundesliga um we have a dortmund game to talk about it was a 1-1 draw against eintracht frankfurt who have been no slouches in the bundesliga this season sitting at mid table but have come away with very impressive impressive performances against many of the top clubs and some less impressive performances against some of the mid table clubs and some not good performances against bottom table clubs. It's a very interesting Eintracht Frankfurt team. But Giorena comes to save the day, getting that Exactly. It it comes to save the day in the second half, fifty fifth minute, nets a goal. Another American to make a good performance on the weekend, but Dermot Camp has some really bad news. Early Holland out for a month plus with a fairly bad hamstring injury, fairly severe hamstring injury, happened in training. I mean, that's like the worst. Yeah, you know, you hate to see it happen. Obviously, anytime a prime talent gets hurt, especially 
in practice. Yeah, it getting hurt in practice just sucks a little bit hard because you know in the game it's like it's the full speed, it's the full action. Like you're laying it all on the line. Exactly. In practice, you're trying to prepare to do that, and you wind up coming out with an injury. It it just sucks. And and by the way, just a note on that Frankfurt team, you're talking about how they're hard to you know kind of get a gauge on. They've drawn their last five matches in the Bundesliga and have drawn six out of their last seven. Yeah. So they, it seems like no matter the competition, they, they're in it. Yeah, they're parody. It's it, they're an interesting club. They're an interesting side. They've got, they've got good talent on the back line. They've got good talent up front. I think their midfield is a little bit to be desired, but we can we can move on because we have La Liga to talk about. And the La Liga has just been, it's been a very interesting season. Sociedad, up until now, I think it's match day 12 in La Liga that we're talking about. Uh, they were in the number one spot in the league that holds Madrid and Madrid and Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, And we're talking about Sociedad. Finally dropping that number one spot after a nil-nil result against Alaves. So who takes the number one spot? It's Atletico Madrid. Kind of the little brother of the, the two powerhouses in Spain. Yeah, but they're not strangers to success in La Liga. It You know, they have been playing the best and the most consistently out of any of the big clubs in, in Spain. And so I think that's well-deserved. Obviously, Sociedad's still fighting for the Europa League. So it seems like they maybe were splitting up their resources, you know, trying to accommodate the additional games. Yeah, the condensed schedule that all but the leagues... so does Atletico. And so to see, you know, them manage it just a little bit better than Sociedad has allows them to move up, take that number one spot. But we ima- I imagine at least Sociedad's going to stay competitive at least... Especially with how inconsistent the other league, uh, the other teams in this league have been this year, I imagine we're going to see teams like Sociedad, Athletic Bilbao, Villarreal. I imagine we're going to see a lot of them kind of have a little bit better of a season, be, even if it's just on the concept that the league is more within grasp this year because of the struggles of the major clubs. Mm-hmm. Speaking of. Those struggles of major clubs might not be embodied anywhere more than they are in Barcelona, where it is just a total mess there. They come out of this week with a loss. It just kind of seemed like they were getting back on the right track with some solid Champions League and domestic performances. But they take a devastating 2-1 to loss to Cadiz. They don't even score uh, for themselves. I believe it was an own goal. You are correct, yeah. And... I mean, this is the first time that they've lost to Cadiz since Ronald Koeman was playing for Barcelona, if that tells you anything. It was, it's been about 30 years since Cadiz has been able to beat Barcelona, and this team just seems to have no answers right now. No. And it's, you know, it's easy to question leadership. It's easy to question club management. But honestly, man, where are the players in this? What players though? Like, what? I know they have Lionel Messi. 
that should be enough. That shouldn't be enough. He's in his 30s at this point. He's well past what is generally considered the prime of a forward in European soccer. He's not. He, but he's never been about the athleticism that the prime represents. I, mean, I understand. I'm just saying to imply that this all falls on him. I mean, this is a Barcelona team that has not been keeping up, that has not been in doing the upkeep. They're primary center backs you know it's still gerard Piquet. no knock on gerard Piquet, but it's like they they haven't been growing and changing with the times and i think that that's finally catching up with them not to mention uh, barcelona is in dire straits financially and that was even before covid hit they were emergency selling players and trying to do whatever they could to balance their books i imagine covid just compounded that exponentially and so this team is backwards from the ground up and yes the players do need to take some accountability but i don't think the talent is there i mean yes at the very upper tier yes they have Lionel messi yes they have usman dembele and griezmann yeah but it's like when you actually look where's the depth on that team where's the you know defensive skill and and foundation where is even the real game plan foundation? It doesn't seem like they have solid tactics anymore. And whether that's on Komen or whether that's on them being having their heels dug in and kind of being stuck to their old ways and not really adapting to, you know, you look at enough film on anybody, a good team should be able to stop them without that team adapting and continuing to change their games. So uh, there's a lot of question marks here. I do imagine they'll start to get, re- you know, I imagine Barcelona finishes top five just because they're Barcelona, mm-hmm. but it's crazy to see them. They're going to have to climb to get there. Bigger struggles than I've ever seen them go through. Well, right now, the other club that has had its run of struggles got a break of fortune in this one to go to fourth place. Real Madrid gets the 1-0 result off of Sevilla own goal and sees them creep back up in, into fourth place. Yeah, they seem like they're at least more on the right track than Barcelona is right now. Both of these teams got off to brutal starts. But it at least seems like, even though they did luck out, it was with the, the luck of an own goal. It I watched a lot of that game, and it just seemed like they were at least more in control than Sevilla. And let's not forget, Sevilla's a pretty decent squad, especially as far as La Liga goes. I mean, they... They won the Europa League this past year. Yep. So they're getting out of their group. Exactly. It's uh, it's interesting to see. Now, just real quick before we move on with that, Eden Hazard, since going to Real Madrid, has had really nothing but injury issues and struggles. Do you think he can find the type of form that he had with Chelsea? I mean, you uh, you've watched him for years now, so you you know the player that he is. Do you think? He's going to be able to rebound to close to what he was before with this real side, or do you think he's going to need another change of scenery to to get back there? I'm more inclined to think he's going to need a change of scenery. This is not about the talent or natural ability of a guy like Eden Hazard, but mm-hmm. more about the way in which a team is structured. When he came to Chelsea following that 2012 Champions League win, it was a team lacking identity, and they kind of made him the centerpiece of the direction they were moving their team. That As Hazard went, Chelsea went. 
And that is not the case with Barcelona. And that will, or not Barcelona, Real Madrid. And that will never be the case with Real Madrid. Not how that works. They, other than Cristiano Ronaldo, it seems like they do not, you know, they did it with Ronaldo, but it seems like every uh, Ronaldo team does it with kind Ronaldo. of Ronaldo forces that. Hazard, they're not running the entire game through Hazard. And I think because Hazard has struggled in his limited tries, I think he's also now lacking a little bit of the confidence and the swagger that gave him that extra oomph. Mm -hmm. A lot, especially in soccer, I feel like, the one-on-one, you know, dribbling abilities that Hazard had, the confidence to go for that looped pass or that crazy through ball or to rip a shot when you're not in the most prime position that again comes from confidence and i think he might be lacking that confidence now and maybe a change of scenery might be what's best i mean same way i do think generally gareth bale struggled in real madrid throughout his whole time there he got again got some silverware he, I mean, he was the winner right. of some silverware. Like he is, his direct result of him being on the field was what got the silverware. I mean, yes, but you could say the same thing about Fernando Torres with Chelsea or certain things, and that doesn't mean Fernando Torres had a successful run at Chelsea. It just means yeah, I mean, he scored some big time goals. That is true. When you look at the level of production that Bale was having and trending toward on Tottenham. I don't think he met those expectations during his time at Real Madrid. And I think we're seeing a similar thing to Hazard. Even if Hazard does start to get it together, even if Hazard does score some big European goals or have some timely things, he's not finding that same level of dominance. Where I mean, Hazard was arguably the best player in the Premier League almost every single year. There were there was one or two really down years, but other than that, he was in the conversation or literally winning the award for best player in the Premier League right. every season. And he he's not really even in the conversation in La Liga. True. Well, we can take it out of football and into soccer because we're bringing it stateside. We have some MLS playoffs to talk about and just kind of some general MLS talk. Columbus Crew win the Eastern Conference with the 1-0 victory against the New England Revolution. Bruce Arenas out of the competition, one of the most winningest coaches, falls short. Artur scores in the 55th minute, and the backup was in for the Columbus Crew, recording four saves for his playoff clean sheet. Backup keeper. Backup keeper. I mean, this was an exciting game. Columbus and New England both had really solid seasons. Columbus all year was, I mean, for much of the year, were leading the Supporter Shield race. And so I don't think it should be a shock to anybody that they're in the conversation here, in the competition here at the end of the East, especially when you saw Toronto and Philadelphia getting knocked out early. Nonetheless, it's exciting for them and for the state of Ohio, which never has anything to be excited about. And... I'm looking forward to seeing what this finale holds. Tonight, the Sounders and Minnesota FC are playing each other to decide who gets to be the representative from the West. Last we checked, Minnesota was up with an early lead, a first-half goal. And I've told you all along, I've really thought this Minnesota team is actually... They they really 
proved something to me during that MLS's back cup. And so I've kind of had my eye on them, and they're my pick to make it to the finals and even to win this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota, I mean, when you have a goalkeeper who's very hot, it generates playoff success, and that's pretty much any any league that has a, a goalkeeper, goaltender, whatever you want to call it. If they're hot, you can ride that success. I like Minnesota FC, too. Uh, I'm hopeful that they get the result tonight, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to see a Columbus Crew team face off against these Western Conference champs. Yeah, it should be good. It should be exciting. Again, you know, we won't know Seattle constantly. You know, Seattle's always in it. It seems like. Mm-hmm. And so this game's going to be, you know, I'm sure this Minnesota-Seattle game's going to be really exciting the way it ends up. I just checked again. It's the 60th minute, and Minnesota's up 1-0. And yet, two minutes ago, Seattle had a goal overturned from VAR. So it's definitely going to be a close one, and I think whatever the final matchup ends up being, whoever Columbus ends up playing against, it's going to end up being a really solid matchup. You know, I think the biggest headline coming out of this MLS season has to be the overall influx of talent that is developing within the league, whether it's within their youth programs or just guys who are coming to MLS clubs as an unfinished product and then being kind of molded. Yeah, and, getting and their seasoning here. We've seen major transfers, you know, highlighted by, you know, our own Philly, or Philly, uh, Brandon Aronson going mm-hmm. to Salzburg. But I think in general, this is a really positive trend for the MLS that they are getting better recognition throughout the world for the quality of play going on mm-hmm. in the league, but also for America and the quality of talent that I think the soccer world is seeing can come out of here. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing an increased number of players in the MLS getting called up to their national teams. Uh, we saw it, you know, uh, here in Philadelphia with a multitude of our players going off and uh, playing with their national teams from all over the world, from Africa, from South America, from, you know, right here in the States. And we're also seeing them draw the eyes of leagues around the world. We have Mark McKenzie, center back for the Union, drawing interest. We have Zimmerman from Nashville FC, drawing interest from around the world. Buchanan from the New England Revolution, all young you know, young, talented players drawing the eyes of some of Europe's top play clubs. Yeah, and I mean, it's significant, you know, even this past week was the first time in 30 years we saw Americans score in three of Europe's top five leagues. I mean, we saw Pulisic score for Chelsea. We saw McKinney score for Juventus, and we saw Reyna score for Dortmund. You know, this influx of American talent, and again, right now I'm focusing on United States, but even just the talent coming out of the MLS, 
is really significant and I think is going to be a lot of the building blocks and foundation for how this league runs for years to come. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, we're starting to see the seeds that were planted with the expansion of the MLS starting to come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, even you could argue the seeds that were planted with the 1994 World Cup. That's very true. But, you know, now we're going even further back. Yeah. We are going to move elsewhere, though. Moving on from the MLS, as fun as it is to talk about, we have the NBA right around the corner. We are just 13 days away from this moment, or sorry, 15 days away from this moment. Yeah, probably 14 days by the time you listen. Of the NBA regular season return. Absolutely back, crazy. Coming back December 22nd, just in time for Christmas. And we got a lot of really exciting headlines swirling around as we get amped up for the season here. Yeah, and I think the first thing to lead off is uh, a blockbuster trade. Yeah, I mean, two household names in the NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, five years ago, this trade's way bigger. But yes. We see Russell Westbrook getting shipped from Houston to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in return for ex-All-Star, ex-All-Pro guard, but coming off of two season-ending injuries, John Wall. They also receive a relatively heavily protected first-round pick. Houston does. Mm -hmm. Gotta say, it's this one was a little bit of a head-scratcher. I... Imagine Russell Westbrook just really must have been unhappy in Houston because you're not really saving any money. John Wall's on what's almost unanimously considered one of, if not the worst contracts in the NBA. And yet you move Russell Westbrook, who I understand, you know, the experiment in Houston last season was a bit of a failure. As a result, we see their GM, coach, and all their star players, it looks like, now leaving. Mm -hmm. But... I was expecting a little bit more of a return for Houston for Russell Westbrook, a guy who just a couple of years ago was the league MVP. He was averaging a triple-double. I mean, it seemed like he was on top of the NBA, and now he's getting sent to a what, Wizards team that's kind of in no-man's land in the middle of a perpetual rebuild and shows no signs of being competitive really anytime soon. And meanwhile, we see John Wall coming off of an Achilles, I believe it was Achilles and an ACL injury or something. Yeah. It's... Like, hasn't played in two and a half years, getting paid ludicrous, like, still as if he were one of the top three guards in the NBA. Like, I, this almost, instead of a win-win, this almost just kind of seems like a lose-lose. Yes. I mean, I... Westbrook got what he wanted. And I think if that's the only thing to come out of this, it's it's good enough to end whatever saga was happening in Houston. And honestly, we have more of a saga to talk about in Houston because the other star player, James Harden, still hasn't shown up. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, they are citing COVID protocols with league testing and then there's mandatory quarantines and all sorts of different things here and there. If you've been traveling out of state, et cetera, et cetera. But James Harden really one of, if not, I mean, he's not the biggest name in the NBA. He's definitely one of the biggest names in the NBA. One of the greatest scorers of all time. 
still just not showing up to this team. And he's made it very clear that he's unhappy. He wants to be moved. He wants to be traded. And even with the addition of John Wall, I don't think that that has changed his mind on anything. And so I'm curious to see how this saga unfolds these next few weeks and into the fir- possibly into the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, with the protocols that are in place, it is going to be interesting to see. Do you think he gets moved? I don't. I think he gets moved by the deadline. He, oh, interesting. I don't know if he gets moved before the season starts, but I don't think he finishes this season with Houston. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how we saw Anthony Davis move midseason. Whether it's a him putting his foot down and saying, I'm demanding you trade me, or if it's the Rockets not being really in contention and every other team in the league salivating at the thought of James Harden, I just see him getting moved. Yeah, I, I think he's. I think he's going to be out of Houston. Another huge headline this week, and not that it was really unexpected, but both LeBron James and Anthony Davis extended their contracts with the Lakers. Anthony Davis was traded there following his forced exodus from New Orleans, finally signs a big extension, and then LeBron, I think, only signed a two-year deal there in the first place, Mm -hmm. but always made it clear he was planning on extending and extended with an additional two-year extension. Now... The most notable part about this is LeBron James said he is most excited about this deal because it means his next free agency will line up with his son's entry into the NBA, meaning he kind of left it with a little bit of vagueness. You know, he was kind of saying, oh, I'll excited that at that point I won't have any obligations, so I'll be able to really be close and focus on my family. But what I think everybody views that as... LeBron wants to play with his son. Mm-hmm. LeBron's going to, whoever drafts Bronny, LeBron is going to take his talents to wherever that is. Yeah, that's like winning the lottery twice. Exactly. So that's going to be super exciting to keep an eye on. You know, LeBron also did mention how he would be honored at that point because he'd be in his late 30s. He'd be getting extensions. Kind of, he's getting record extensions at an age where nobody ever gets these kinds of extensions. So obviously, all of the props and kudos to LeBron with that, but I think we can all, every NBA fan can get excited at the thought of a LeBron and Bronny duo possibly in the next few years. Yeah, that will be exciting to see. Possibly the best news that Brandon Ingram has ever heard in his life. The NBA has announced that they are going to be doing no testing for marijuana on their players this upcoming season. I mean, this is something that they've dangled before, both in the NBA and NFL in front of players as kind of a bargaining chip during CBAs, but it's good to see it finally coming into fruition. I mean, it's exciting to see this, hopefully this stigma being lifted from marijuana, especially in an age when so many players and ex-athletes at all levels struggle with opioid abuse because of the dependence on painkillers. Yeah. It's nice to see the league finally kind of catch up with modern times, break away still from the federal classification of these drugs, and move toward a healthier and more educated 
like you know approach approach yeah so that's good you know it's really also dumb that we would ever be seeing athletes at any level missing play time for something that really doesn't provide competitive advantage no yeah and you know on on the opioid point i mean we if you've followed with what's happened with deontay west after his exodus in the league and his drug problems i mean these guys are playing 82 games in a season against other gigantic human beings that like i mean if you're if you exist with a spine you're going to have back problems if you're seven foot two those back problems are going to be an entire foot worse you know it's it's a lot more things to go wrong it's it's the size and the, the caliber of these players and the level at which they compete it, it it is good to see that possibly this opioid problem that does impact the league might start to fade out with alternative pain control methods and that's not the only change that is coming to the NBA, possibly. Yeah, there are a few other changes here. I mean, these are all still up in the air. They're not 100% agreed upon, but they are looking more likely to pass than not. Looks like the league will be fining teams up to $100,000 per incident for healthy scratches of prominent players during nationally televised games. They argue that the product in general, especially during the regular season, has been getting cheapened over the last few years, and they want to keep national interest, television interest, etc., etc. So, there are potentials that teams will be facing monetary discipline if they rest their predominant players during nationally televised games. They're also instructed not to rest more than one healthy player at a time, again, for the similar reasons. Um, even further, kind of on this point, healthy scratches and DNPs must be on the bench for away games. They argue that a lot of the, especially, you know, away markets, away teams, people will come to the stadium maybe to see a traveling player like a LeBron James, a Jimmy Butler. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. Paul George. Exactly. The reason and, why this rule had to be made. Exactly. And so... With that in mind, they at least want these players to be, you know, involved in the game, even if they're not playing, Mm -hmm. because they do realize that load management should be in every team's vocabulary. They want it to still be an exciting atmosphere for the fans. Right. And they, lastly, they are looking at bringing back the play-in tournament that they had this past year, providing teams that are finishing the season within striking distance of the last playoff spot, a chance to maybe squeak their way in, pull off an upset of sorts. Another way to try and make regular season games more appealing. Mm -hmm. Our last note in the NBA before we jump to our other leagues, Carl Anthony Towns, the former number one overall pick, of the Minnesota Timberwolves, dominant center, arguably the best or one of the top three centers in the game, up there with Jokic, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis. DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, like, there's a lot of good centers in the NBA, but Carl Anthony Towns has a very uh, good skill set of finding the basket and also facilitating play with his ball movement. Yeah. Um, 
he says that he has lost seven family members to the COVID-19 virus. You know, not that I think anybody at this point is taking this virus lightly, but that goes to show it is hitting people at all levels Mm -hmm. of all cultural, socioeconomic backgrounds. And, you know, if people weren't taking it seriously before, the fact that somebody could have, you know, this holiday season seven seats during a holiday event or, you know, or a family function that would now be empty as a result is very sad. Our hearts go out to him and anybody dealing with loss at this, you know, due to COVID or not due to COVID, but, yeah, just, you know, yeah. this is a really scary thing. And, you know, for a star to come out and be as candid and open about those kinds of things, you know, we wish him the best mm-hmm. and everyone the best who's still struggling yes, with this. Absolutely. And praise him for standing up and talking about it. It's not, it's not an easy, it's thing, not an to easy talk about. thing to talk about. Coming over to the NHL, we have, you know, a concrete starting date in the NBA. It seems like there are changes. It seems like there is player movement. Then you look at the NHL and no pun intended, but it seems like everything's just frozen solid. It is. It's all boarded up. And you're hearing nothing but crickets. The return to play plan has still not been decided upon. The most recent plan that's getting actually some traction was proposed by the, I believe, president or GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. That proposes a January 15th restart date, which, again, is picking up some traction. But even now they say even if that plan does continue to pick up traction and is agreed upon, there's still a chance that that January 15th date could be a few weeks off for the worse, not for the better, for this restart. So there's still, you know, I kind of feel like I'm eating crow here. I feel like I was praising Gary Bettman, saying he always kind of finds a way to get this stuff done. Always a mistake. And yet here he is the only one without a real plan. Mm -hmm. And so we hope it can come back. I mean, you and I, big hockey fans, we're really excited to see what this Flyers team can do after a really solid year. But right now the NHL just seems to not be able to get out of its own way. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're dealing with a lot. I mean, when you have the number of Canadian teams that the NHL does that, does compound the issue because of the travel travel restrictions due to the virus. I hope they figure it out. I think if we if we see it by January twenty first, maybe I'll have a nice birthday present. Yeah, could be, could be, could be. We have two other just real quick NHL notes. First was a couple weeks ago we mentioned how the league had come out with some retro refit jerseys. We went over some of our favorites, kind of some of the looks. This is a fun idea. You know, I think nostalgia is a big part of any sports league. Absolutely. And the NHL was really trying to tap into this, and they did a pretty good job. Uh, they did just release this week. They said that all all of the teams' retro refit jerseys are the team's best-selling item on their hockey shops right now. So in general, these items are flying off the proverbial shelves. But they did give us a breakdown of the teams that were selling the most. Yeah. Capitals and... Capitals and Rangers at the top, which were a little bit surprising to me. I didn't th- I, you know, Capitals bringing back the bird and the Rangers just kind of going with the old Statue of Liberty jerseys yeah, there, the, the pra- practice the jerseys. jerseys. Yeah. You know, 
obviously they're both notable designs, but mm-hmm. I am a little bit surprised to see them at first and second. Then third through fifth, though, not a surprise to me at all. No, these are all these are the ones that I think some people get a little bit contested on with the appearance and the styling of the jerseys, but these three were some of my favorites. Yeah, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim really going with their old flashback retro kind of hollering back to the old Disney movies. Mm -hmm. Really fun jerseys there. The Colorado Avalanche brought back their old Canadian history with the Quebec Nordiques jersey, another major fan favorite. They were hugely popular, Mm -hmm. and I think anybody who watched hockey in the 80s and 90s fondly thinks back to the Nordiques. And then lastly, the Arizona Coyotes with their... Peyote Coyote? Yeah, they're they're kind of desert, almost Native American-esque jerseys. Very popular, very wild-looking, and I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that, in general, the retro refit jerseys are selling, but also that these particular clubs struck a struck a note with the with the fans yeah not not a surprise what what is surprising though in the nhl so far is that we haven't really heard any updates about patrick line you know he's been the hottest trade target coming into this offseason yeah i mean it's not often that you get a guy who's a perennial 40 goal scorer on the market i mean 40 goal scorers these days are pretty hard to come by now that now that the scoring standards in the league have kind of come back down to earth and he's a young talent he's really an elite scorer i'd say more of a scorer than he is a playmaker even though he is both yeah he does well he does well in both but yeah he's a kind of goal first player yeah and at a young age you know with it's still a long career ahead of him and even some more room to grow it's a little bit shocking to see him even on the trade conversation but considering it looks more and more likely that he's not going to extend with the jets when the time comes it makes the most sense for them to move on from him when they have the chance so we could very well see him move this year he is entering this last year of his deal and again that's the type of player i mean i think 30 other teams in the nhl would love to have him yeah then in another season, 31. <laughs> exactly. But we can move on to baseball because we've got plenty to talk about, even despite it being the off season, And we're going to start with a little bit of somber news. Yep. Major League Baseball and Philadelphia legend Dick Allen passed away today at the age of 78. He did have his numbers re- number retired this past year during COVID by the Phillies, becoming the first non-Hall of Famer to ever have his number retired by the team mm-hmm. in a ceremony that was really long overdue. Absolutely. And I think it's still a little bit of a black mark on the league that he has not been voted into the Hall of Fame. Considering the players that have been let in, his body of work, I think, more than speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Not to mention he was kind of a larger-than-life personality, especially early on when you know baseball was still dealing with desegregation kind of still dealing with the real true ugliness of racism in both the country and the sport yes and dick allen was a pioneer and trailblazer who 
handled that those incredible challenges with dignity and class and really deserves any and all of the accolades he can be given. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a loss for the city. It's a loss for the sport. It's a loss for the world. Rest in peace, Dick Allen. Absolutely. I mean, Dick Allen, seven-time All-Star, yeah, w- won Rookie of the Year in his rookie campaign. but Won an MVP. Won an MVP as well. He had to run the base pass with his batting helmet on, something that's now commonplace, but... At the time, it was just him, and it was he had to do it to protect himself from objects being thrown from the stands. Yeah, I mean, people people would show up at his house, and they would dump garbage and trash on his lawn. Yeah. I mean, even though he was really the best player, you could argue, on a lot of those early Phillies teams, he was not treated as such. He was never really uh, welcomed by the fans until long after his career. Mm-hmm. And again, really, like I said, the ugly head racism rearing rearing its ugly head and it's it's really you know i'm embarrassed reading about a lot of those stories about the way he was treated Mm -hmm. it is fortunate that in the years since both members from the phillies organization as well as people from the city and all over the place have tried to rectify this and give him the respect that he was long due but it is still disheartening or or disappointing to see the way he was treated especially where you know it was mike schmidt who said you know imagine the feats he could have accomplished if he had the privilege to just come to the ballpark and only have to worry about playing baseball yeah which he he didn't get that no he didn't and uh you know a career cut short by injuries it's uh it's a you know it's a tale that's a very important to the league and to this Phillies organization and to the the White Sox as well, and it's a it's a sad loss for for baseball and and really the world. Yeah, elsewhere in the league, we did see a couple of other notable storylines. You know, the Phillies continue to fight these headlines that they might be battling some financial instability, despite the fact that they were some of the first ones to come out and use that as an excuse as to maybe why they weren't going to retain Real Muto or some other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they cut 80 salaried employees right before Thanksgiving. It, this Phillies team is dealing with a lot of pred, bad press, but I got to say, I think they deserve it. I mean, just, you know, not long ago, we had our owner come out and speak to the media and say, we're going to spend stupid money. And that's, I mean, that's always a dumb quote as a as an owner to say but it you know you need to enliven the fan base but you also need to follow up on it yeah, you can't then the very next year and i understand covid did present unforeseen challenges for everybody Absolutely. virtually everybody however you can't then the very same like literally a year later come out and be like oh well we're up against the wall we've lost so much money you know i mean even then cutting 80 salaried employees before before Thanksgiving, I bet you if you add up all of those players' salaries, it's not even a third of what Bryce Harper makes in a season. Mm-hmm. You know, it just shows how poorly managed from top to bottom this Phillies team is. Yeah, and it's it's becoming more and more disappointing. And I don't know whether that starts with Middleton or it ends with Middleton, 
but I do know that John Middleton has a big has his hands all over that, Absolutely. and it's a shame to see this team with so much history in such a passionate sports town be consistently mismanaged. Yes, consistently floundering and flopping. But on top of that, the Phillies, you know, in the midst of all of that, John Middleton had to come out this week and vehemently deny that they are shopping their starting pitcher or quasi-ace Blake Wheeler Mm -hmm. because of financial complications. And, you know, it came out. Phillies didn't put out that they were shopping him. John Middleton then came out and vehemently denied it, going as far as to say he wouldn't even trade Wheeler for... The great Bambino himself. Which is which asinine. Is asinine. I mean, hell, it, I don't care who you are. You should never make that statement, even if it's Bryce Harper. Yeah, we would trade Bryce Harper for you, Babe Ruth. It's Babe Ruth. Yeah, it's Babe Ruth. Like, but, you know, just go to show this Phillies team, it seems like they have no direction. Yeah. It seems like they have no compass even to, well, to get them back like, on track. It seems like they really like the taste of their own feet. Yeah, that too. Speaking of people who may or may not like the taste of feet, MLB umpire Brian Onora was arrested this week following a sex sting in Ohio where they aim to stop human trafficking by trying to cut down on demand of sex services. They arrested the umpire as well as 14 other individuals who were seeking to pay for sex acts. Via some online webpage? Yeah, it, kind of similar in some senses to the Robert Kraft thing. I mean, Robert Kraft, he actually went through with it. He received the sexual acts in a salon and then was met with law enforcement after the fact. Yeah. Where these guys, they didn't even get to have the good time. Yeah. They show up just to be met by law enforcement. Yeah. The MLB denied any comment, but... Onora's been a pretty notable umpire. I mean, he's been umpiring for 20 years. He's got a handful of all-star games under his belt, a lot of playoff experience. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, he's actually credited, I saw this, as being the first ever video review umpire. Interesting. Uh, In in Major League Baseball's first, it wasn't even a a legitimate game. It was an exhibition game. But in their first trial with a video umpire system, he was the one in the video booth. Interesting. He was the first ever MLB video umpire. Well, he's kind of good with technology, but he can't <laughs> figure out when. Yeah, you would have that... thought that guy yeah. would have just stuck with video booths, but yeah. you know, no, he uh, had to had to jump into the real world. Well, also talking about jumping, making leaps. Siyoshi Shinjo is attempting a return to baseball at 48 years old after years in the Major League Baseball in the Major Leagues in Japan. As a run, as a underwear model, he is... He's done it all, this he, guy. He, he even won Japan's version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. My goodness. Like, what can't this guy do? Oh, uh, let's... let's I, I don't know, but I don't, he might be too powerful. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he had a, a pretty short stint in the majors, playing from 2000 to 2003. Was it with the Mets? He was with the Mets. Uh, he, he had a couple of really big – he's the type of guy, when you look at his career stat line, it was never – it wasn't too impressive. But Mets fans talk about him, you know, like he's some folk hero. Like you a, know, a, he, a splash player? He, he, you know, you know how, how we just – 
if I say the word Matt Stairs, you kind of light like up a little the bit. The moonshot. Exactly. Like he just had some of those plays mm-hmm. that were that were notable for that team. And so, you know, after that he goes over to Japan, plays for the Nippon Ham Fighters, and which is I believe where Shinji Otani came from. And had a really storied career there, super successful. Apparently in his last career game was carried off the field by members of both teams. Like, like hugely successful, goes on, signs on to be an underwear model for one of, and launches his own line of men's underwear and other clothes. Hugely successful in that. His billboards are all over Tokyo, all over Japan. And at age 48, just got that itch again. Yeah. Apparently showed up, was in spring training for, because the spring training has already started there because their season's not aligned with ours. And they said he looks great. They look like he, he said he looks like he hasn't aged a day. I don't know if they're talking about the underwear picks or his baseball abilities, but honestly, is it? it's a win-win. Yeah, for, I mean, it, it, you're splitting hairs. <laughs> no matter how you slice it, you want him in the locker room. Yeah. You know, going off of those odd things, we got a couple more really weird things that kind of popped up. We normally have our oddball segment before baseball, but I figured that was good a transition as any. Oh, yeah. We did see a couple of crazy things happen this this week. Most notably, we saw a high school football player absolutely go berserk after being ejected from the game. Mm-hmm. Gets two consecutive unsportsmanlike conduct personal fouls. And then upon the referee announcing his ejection, storms back onto the field, barreling into the official, who's a older man. man. He was like 58, something like that, 60-year-old man, sends him to the ground. And then we see the player being kind of pulled off to the sideline. And, well, not long later, we see police officers come over and, well, take the kid somewhere else. The kid ends up being arrested on assault charges. The team ends up winning the game, but then forfeits the rest of their season. This was actually a key game to decide whether or not. I think it was a play-in game for the playoffs. playoffs? Yeah. yeah, so they end up forfeiting the rest of their playoffs. I mean, this was a uh, – the video is a little disturbing. I mean, it was pretty, pretty insane to watch. Yeah. So, obviously, we wish this referee well. Uh, we wish this kid whatever the best anger management treatments yeah, are out there. You know, get. whatever help he can get. Obviously, he's got some problems going on. But that was a crazy headline. Certainly caught my attention yeah, this it week. A, it was a shocking video. One very viral. It was. Uh, it was. It's sad to see. It's sad to see losing your cool, especially in a game with heavy implications. And obviously, like emotions are high during those times, but. Losing your cool like that's just on a whole separate level. Elsewhere, we saw undefeated boxing legend announcing that he is going to take up an exhibition fight with human trash can Logan Paul. Yep. Which, I, at this point, I don't know if I've ever seen a competition where I want both of them to lose. I would love to see each one of them eat a million punches. Yeah. Uh, I would pay money just to watch them get punched. I don't even care who the one throwing the punches are. Yeah. So, this shouldn't be a fight at all. I mean, one of them is a YouTube personality. The other one is considered by many to be one of, if not the greatest in the history of the sport. I imagine Mayweather's going to absolutely dismantle Logan Paul. And 
I almost hate that we're even talking about this, but yeah, I get it. It's relevant, but we can skip it because I was watching my programs. I was watching my 60 Minutes and talking about the bleak future of the non-money-generating NCAA sports programs. Yeah, I mean, they didn't come out and say it. I actually saw this same program that you're referencing. It came on after football. Didn't feel after, like... After the, after the Eagles game against yeah, the Packers. I didn't feel and like sitting up and getting the remote. They talked about how, in general, I mean, this was a trend happening before COVID, but it has been exacerbated by COVID. I think we're actually seeing that, that same scenario in a lot of areas. But mm-hmm. a lot of your, you know non-lucrative sports in the college world are being shut down. They're having their funding cut. We're seeing it with a lot of crew programs, with track and field, with a lot of women's sports in general. You know, there's... It it seems like there's less room in these major universities in their minds to be shelling out money for a program that isn't bringing really any positive return to the school. Now, positive return is a relative term. Yeah. That is totally subjective. I'm sure there are hundreds of student athletes who would, when you consider the amount of athletes that would be impacted by this, it's pretty monumental. When you consider the trickle effect that this could have through high school, you know, if volleyball players don't think that they could earn a scholarship in college or track and field runners, you know, cross country, any of those things, don't think that they, they're they they're working towards something, they might drop it at an earlier age. The other big concern that this brings up is might this have a major impact on the Olympic pipeline? Absolutely. The vast majority of the United States Olympic athletes, especially, again, in sports that are not lucrative really become polished and trained and developed through collegiate programs. Mm -hmm. And with these programs being cut, I imagine there's going to be a significant drop-off in the product that we are seeing on the back end. Absolutely. Uh, it's, It's a concerning issue. It's crazy to think with the money that some of these schools make on their football or basketball programs through the TV deals that they get which are worth in the, you know, hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. And they're cutting programs and they're hiding behind Title IX. And, uh, you know, it's we don't have enough female athletes to compete with, you know, keeping the male sports. It's malarkey. I mean, the, the whole NCAA system has been broken for a while and it's I feel like it's continuing to deteriorate, and it's going to it's going to cause severe issues down the road. Well, I think the NCAA in general is is in for a, a reckoning pretty soon, and you know we can get this was a much longer conversation. Yeah, this so is we'll, a, we'll, this, we'll get this might past be a whole it. episode. But the systems that they have in place are unsustainable. The money generating systems that they have in place are unsustainable, which means that the non money generating ones are even less sustainable. It's a headache, and so we'll move on. Because, again, we could talk about this for three more hours. We have two notes from Formula One, an area that we normally don't talk about too often. But there are two pretty big headlines. Yeah. Uh, First one, a really scary crash. Uh, Going through a guardrail, 
seeing the car split in half. Yeah, car split in giant half. Giant fireball giant flames and, and, yeah, just really crazy scary. But driver Romain Groshin crashed his car and yet manages to walk away relatively unscathed. But it was really a scary moment. It, it is, but it's a testament to the manufacturers of the gear that provide these drivers, you know, enough time to be able to, you know, get out, recover, and, and be okay. I, I was I was reading. They had just recently upped the minimum requirements for the flashpoint of the suits that the drivers wear from 10 seconds to 12 seconds. You have 12 seconds of heat resistance before the the fibers can, can catch and, and start to alight. That's fast. You gotta get out of a, a, a fireball. Yeah, you have to survive a physical trauma where you are going literally hundreds of miles per hour and then escape the fiery death trap. But don't worry. That you're strapped into. But don't worry. We bought you an extra two seconds. Yeah, you got extra two seconds this coming year. It's crazy. It's, uh, I mean, obviously it's a high adrenaline, very dangerous competition that balances engineering, balances technique, race strategy teamwork group plan i mean it's it's yeah, a it's the, the this... physical skills of the drivers i mean there's so many variables that go into this and it's good to see though that all of the safety thing safety measures and protocols as scary as that moment was worked as they were intended mm-hmm. and as a result again we're able to see this driver not only survive this scary crash but literally get out and walk away himself yeah with a couple of a couple of bandages, a couple but, of burns and... but again, for all intents and purposes, unbelievable. He did announce, though, he is going to sit out the finale this, you know, I think it's this week or next week. Mm-hmm. Figured he'd sit this one out. Yeah. Take a little bit of time off. Yeah. I don't blame him. No, I mean, you just saw, you know, you were just surrounded in fire, you know, a week ago. Take some time off. And lastly, also out of Formula One, really debatably the all-time great, but certainly the great in the sport today, Lewis Hamilton announces he has tested positive for COVID-19. I believe this came out sometime last week, but it's still significant. Figure while we're on the topic of F1, might as well mention the current GOAT, at least. And, uh, you know, I don't think that, I think he had already, by a pretty decent margin, wrapped up his first place finish for the season. So I think it doesn't really impact him either way, but you know, obviously we wish him the best speedy recovery that there's no real long-term impacts to this. Cause he is an exciting, maybe the most exciting person to watch in the sport. And you know, age 35, we hope that he's gets to continue and go out on his own terms. Absolutely. Wish him all the best. We will round things out with the National Football League Week 12 still underway as we have another Tuesday game this week. But for all intents and purposes, the league has pretty much wrapped up for the week and we are looking toward Week 13. But we have a handful of storylines to touch on. Most notably, our Philadelphia Eagles took a rough loss to the Green Bay Packers. Something that I don't think is unexpected. I think pretty much anybody, including us, would have yeah. said we'd probably come out of that game with a loss. But the more noteworthy part was that, what was it, 
end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter? Yeah, I think it was like six minutes left in the third. We saw Doug Peterson make a change at quarterback, not just for a play, not just for a drive, but Jalen Hurts came in and finished out the game for the Eagles, immediately providing a spark, scoring a couple of touchdowns, and at one point, having it down to a six-point game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he brought the Eagles back to uh, make the game competitive. But there were some... The Packers made adjustments where they they dropped into a much more zone heavy defense yeah, much more pre- kind of preventative second half defense we see this a lot when teams are just trying to protect leads not let up the big play or the play over the top but make it okay you can score on us but you're going to need to do it with a methodical six minute drive not with three plays and a you know yeah, and an extra point exactly so, it, it it's definitely raising question marks. I mean, I still don't think we really have a clear idea, you know, who's going to start next week. Doug Peterson said he doesn't know who's going to start next week. I think this opens up a pretty big can of worms no matter which way he goes with this. And honestly, if I'm Doug, I, I kind of would have wished I didn't do this or wish that Hurts came in and struggled just as hard because mm-hmm. now it almost seems like a damned if he does, damned if he doesn't type scenario. And I got to say, I don't know what's best for the team. You know, Wentz really has not looked promising. He really has not looked good. He really has not looked like the answer at quarterback. And yet with the amount of money they have tied up in him and the glimpses he's shown in the past, any decision you make right now could have some really long-term consequences. Yeah, I mean, it... The, the the worst possible thing was if Hertz came in and you know really outplayed Wentz. It it brings in a a much much larger controversy, especially because people in Philadelphia don't ever 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 temper expectations. Exactly, and so you know there there's going to be calls. I mean, whether Hertz played well or not, there were going to be calls for him to start next week. This just exacerbates things, and I think. It's going to be a really tough one for Doug, I think. You know, then you have the dilemma of, well, if he gets put in next week and Hertz is struggling, do you switch back? Do you not switch back? You know, this it's like you answer one question, you create 50 more. Mm-hmm. And so this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on. If I uh, just real quick, I don't I don't want to get into a huge explanation on it, but if I'm Doug Peterson at least this week against the Saints, I go with Carson Wentz. Mhm. But that's just me. Well, you know, real quick, which one would you go with if you were? Uh, if I'm Doug Peterson, I am drinking heavily, but I think I'm running with Carson again. And I think I think you just have to do it for the sheer fact that you gave him the contract. You you bought into what he was selling. And I mean, 2017 isn't this year. But it's not like it's ancient history. It's... Exactly. And so... But Carson's also seeing ghosts in the pocket. And, like... Do you, I don't know how you coach that out. And... Yeah, you know, you wonder if his timidity from injuries and then now also the amount that between last year and this year he's just been sacked an ungodly amount. I mean, over this two-year span, he's on par, or he's on pace to, I believe, be the second most or third most sacked quarterback of all time. He's right up there with David Carr in Houston and Andrew Luck 
during his time with Indianapolis. I mean, that's not a place you want to be in. Yes, I think we would both agree, and anyone would agree, Carson Wentz does need to get the ball out sooner. Mm -hmm. But also, the receivers not being open. I mean, I remember them showing this last year. Coverage sacks. You know, they were saying within three seconds, you know, all this talk about how Aaron Rodgers gets the ball out in less than three seconds. Russell Westbrook gets the ball out and blah, blah, blah. You know, with Carson Wentz, they were saying in under three seconds last year, 90% of plays, none of his receivers had a single point where any of them got more than a yard and a half separation. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron Rodgers is throwing it under three seconds, we saw it. He was throwing it to guys who had nobody within three or four yards of them. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the little pick-bump plays at the line of scrimmage that get guys open, whether it's creative route running, whether it's motion that causes coverage confusion on the defense— I don't want to be throwing it all at Doug Peterson for play calling, but it, or again, or maybe it's maybe it's Howie Roseman and drafting. Maybe it's all of the above. Yeah, you know. But the fact of the matter is, you need guys to be open to throw them the ball, and you need protection to be able to throw the ball. And it seems like, in addition to Wentz holding on to it too long, yeah. he doesn't have either of those things. Yeah, you're getting you're only getting two of the three, on on most of your snaps and sometimes you're only getting one of three sometimes you're getting none and like once every 10 plays you get all three to hit and you get eight yards exactly it's not sustainable no and so it's not a way to win football games they're going to need to make changes whether it's hurts whether it's Wentz. they're going to need to make major personnel changes from top to bottom and i think doug really needs to reevaluate his play calling and try and tap again even if it's even if it's getting simpler instead of more complex something needs to change yeah absolutely adjustments need to be made speaking of adjustments that need making i i need one because i am i was so far off this, i mean this i that's the worst take i've probably ever had or you know like i've i've been wrong i've been incorrect but i've never i've never sounded more stupid than this chargers Facing off against the Patriots. Yeah, in case any of you didn't listen to our NFL podcast, Bernie this week put out a pretty, he felt pretty confident. I mean, I did. In the fact that he felt that Justin Herbert and the Chargers were going to be able to take advantage of this Patriots team that has, again, we speaking of Jekyll and Hyde type teams, been all over the map and... This was not the week for that Chargers team. Yeah, it was a it was a hide week for sure. It was the ugliest week of the season for the Chargers. I actually believe it might have been the biggest loss of this season by any team. A 45 to 0 blowout. That's honestly one of the biggest scoring margins of defeat I've ever seen in a, in an NFL game. I I off the top of my head can't think of a bigger one. That's and I don't think it's the biggest ever, but you no, know, I mean, I'm saying off the top of my head though. And yeah. we watch a lot of football. Yeah. I can't think of a, not only can I not think of a 45-point mar- margin of victory in an NFL game, I also can't think of a 45-point shutout in an NFL game. No. Uh, the Chargers just could not get it together on any aspect of this game, defensively, offensively, running game, passing attack. Special teams. Special teams, blocking they they weren't stopping the run. They weren't stopping the pass. They weren't doing either of those things effectively when they had the ball. I mean, 
it was just a disaster. The water guys were just squirting shoes for some reason. It was bad. It was real bad. It was a disaster of a game, and I think that that continues to solidify Anthony Lynn's spot on the proverbial hot seat. Yes. You know, he does have a young quarterback. This is a young team, but the those levels of total failures from top to bottom really are not good, especially when a coach is trying to justify being given another year to try and be at the helm of this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, two new coaches to their teams this year are making playoff pushes against much better teams, both the New York football giants and the Washington football team. I wonder, should the Eagles put football in their name? Is that part of the success? You know, it might be. Are we now the football Eagles? Yeah, we're the football Eagles now. 16 and no, baby. Uh, yes, Washington and New York pull off major upsets. Yeah, Washington just tonight giving the Pittsburgh Steelers their first loss of the season. Those 19, was it 72, 73 Dolphins can now pop their champagne as they know it will be another year without a perfect NFL season by any of the 32 teams. But I think the game that surprised me, I don't want to say surprised me even more because I did mention in our football episode that I could have very well seen the Giants knocking off the Seahawks, but it did happen. I, I kind of was saying that, almost saying I wouldn't be shocked if dot, 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 but I didn't think it was going to happen. Well, it was hard to think with a backup quarterback in there. Yeah, with Colt McCoy in, I mean, I think even then I, I said it with an asterisk saying with Colt McCoy was in, they were going to lose. So, I mean, Colt McCoy really played out of his mind. The matter of fact, so much so that they had to guarantee Daniel Jones that he will have a chance to start once he's back from his injury. Quote, he'll have every chance to get his job back, which I think is a hilarious way of putting it. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, the, the Giants team looked... Really good. I mean, they were. It was pretty much a snooze fest of a game. It was five nothing at one point. We had a weird yeah. one. There was a a field goal and a safety. Which anytime you get that combination, it's always a goofy one. Yeah, it's always a weird game. But uh, you know, it ended up being close. Giants score a couple of touchdowns in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter to kind of expand a lead. The Seahawks then started clawing their way back, but just ran out of time. Fell or came up a little bit short. And we see that's a major shot to both Russell Wilson's MVP campaign as well as the Seahawks trying to take that division. Very competitive NFC West. Extremely competitive. Elsewhere, we saw the New Orleans Saints stay perfect without Drew Brees. Still in the lead in the NFC South. And right now, the team to beat in the NFC looking like they're locking up that number one seed just seems like they haven't skipped a beat without drew Brees. i mean i don't know whether that's a testament to Taysom hill whether that's a testament more to sean payton yeah. or if it's just a testament to that whole organization the whole system that they got running down there but really impressive to see that they even without their starting quarterback and with a gadget player playing quarterback yeah are able to just keep on rolling beating pretty good teams i mean this wasn't a great team in the atlanta falcons but it's a team that's been playing their best football of the season of late yes and it's a tough divisional matchup yeah and it's i mean it's a it's a it's an offensive team so you you have to keep pace absolutely and doing that 
without Drew Brees seems like it was a very tall ask, but the Saints met it handedly. Another crazy game from this weekend, maybe one of the most entertaining from start to finish that we saw, was the Cleveland Browns beating the Tennessee Titans. Now, if you just watched the first half of this game, you would have thought it was a total blowout. Browns carried a 38-7 halftime lead into that game, only to have it almost entirely slip away in the second half. The Titans ended up losing by less than a touchdown. I mean, what a crazy game. Again, two teams fighting for the playoffs. I mean, you and I were talking about this game a lot this past week. I got to say, I'm pleasantly surprised by the Browns and their ability to come out and get this big win, this big win against a playoff-tested team in the Titans. And and honestly, went against my thoughts. I thought the Titans were going to come out and win this one pretty handily. But I think the thing that surprised me most about this game was the air raid attack that both these teams were just throwing at each other. Both these quarterbacks finished with some of the highest yards of the week in in their passing yards. I mean, Ryan Tannehill killed me in fantasy this week. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a game worth watching. As a result, the Browns get their ninth win of the season, securing their first winning season since 2007. Also see them inch ever so closer to another playoff berth, which would be a huge moment for them. Absolutely. A team that, though... On the opposite end? On the opposite end of that spectrum, the New York Jets just found another way to lose this week. Yes. Managing to give up a four-point lead that they had with 14 seconds left. Four seconds left. Well, they were uh, the play. I think, yeah, yeah. I think it was four seconds. On the final play, they had four seconds. After the touchdown was scored, there was four seconds left. That's right. So they, yeah, I mean, the Jets ends up getting their defensive coordinator fired. They call a... Pretty much all-out blitz. I mean, yeah. not all-out, but, you know, yeah, it, a pretty strong, like a jailbreak-type well, blitz. What we, uh, what we in the Madden community call it an engage eight. Yeah. yeah. And gets beat Henry Ruggs. Harry yeah. Ruggs. Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs ends the up third. with a, yes, with a 48, 45-yard touchdown yeah, catch. Yeah, just over the top. As time's expiring. No safety help over the top. He beats his corner. He's got... F- three to five yards on him the whole time. I mean, as soon as the ball's in the air, you go, oh, that's it. Uh-oh. And, yeah, this Jets team just finds another way to lose the game, now fall to 0-12, getting closer and closer to that historically bad winless season. And, wow. Just a crazy, crazy finish. The um, elsewhere, the Jaguars lost a close game to Minnesota, keeping them at one wins. The other, or one win, the other really struggling team here in the league, and they're quarterbacked right now by Mike Glennon, who some people would remember was signed by the Bears to be their big time quarterback, and then they drafted Mitch Trubisky that same season. Mike Lennon, a journeyman, backup, whatever you want to call him, has been given the nod the last two weeks over Gardner Minshew, who is now healthy, who's COVID-free, and really chomping at the bit to play, going as far as to say that he begged his coach to play this past weekend, but still was left on the bench, them taking another loss, 
And it seems like Minshew Mania has, for all intents and purposes, died out yeah. in Duval County. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, someone's on their Ativan or something. It's it's always interesting to see these quarterbacks that have the, the flash-in-the-pan-type performances where they garner, a, you know, a, no pun intended, a lot of interest, a lot of uh, attention, and then to see it fade so quickly. But I'll give you credit. You really saw a writing on the wall with this one because you you said the Jaguars aren't going to buy in to Minshew. I mean, he's a six-round pick. That wind up being a competent, competent quarterback. The couple last things that in the NFL before we round things out for the week, Tom Brady's mansion was broken into this past weekend by a homeless man. Security company called the police. Brady and Giselle were not home at the time. Listen, I resent being called homeless. Yes, I look unkempt, and I just needed to use the bathroom, and no one was answering. Well, while, uh, while I think we can all appreciate your homely appearance right now, I don't think you were down in... I think it was, I think it was actually his still Boston home. It was not his florida home yeah it was his boston home well, i was looking and, for the baked beans well the crazy thing about this is the guy who they they found him sleeping on a sofa in the in the basement there by the way when when police arrived he mm-hmm. was on security cameras the whole the whole nine but he actually has a pretty long criminal history mm. including he was arrested at one point for stealing a game-worn tom brady jersey valued at ten thousand dollars out of Gillette Stadium in their Patriots Hall of Fame sector. They have like a little display of prominent memorabilia and players in their history. And the man broke the display case and stole the game-used Brady jersey before eventually being apprehended and the jersey was found. But just crazy that this guy, you know... At first, he was trying to claim it was a mistake. He didn't know where the ha- whose house it was, blah, blah, blah. But when you look at that history, it seems like this guy might know what he's doing. Even yeah. even for being, you know, people would tend to think maybe a homeless person wouldn't have those kind of resources or, you know, maybe the intellectual capacity yeah, the to, be, to... to be facilitating these kinds of things. And yet got himself into Gillette Stadium and stole the jersey and then got himself into TB12's house. Yeah, it's definitely a... It's an interesting story, and we'll see what develops. This guy, you never know. And then lastly, on the on-field side of things, you know, arguably the top running back in the league, all-pro running back Christian McCaffrey was cleared to return this week and still left it up in the air as to whether or not he's going to play this Sunday for the Panthers. But I think the bigger concern for the Panthers is that they had eight players test positive since their game yesterday. So... I got to imagine there's questions as to even if this game is going to end up being played. I mean, obviously there have been other, you know, outbreaks or clusters that size that haven't led to cancellations, but eight in a 24 hour span, that's trending toward Baltimore Ravens territory. And that could lead to not only a one week disruption, but possibly a multiple one. Also, again, they didn't have a game yesterday. This is their bye week. So I, I misspoke there, but still, the fact that they've had eight players test positive since this weekend is what the the article I, I checked out said. You know, 
that's pretty significant and considering they just came off their bye week at least it's not you know then the risk of exposing another team yet mm-hmm. but definitely a concern and god knows what these players were up to during their bye weeks if they were going home if any of them did any traveling you know that could also make things worse yeah well that just about wraps it up here for the balls over the top podcast it's a hefty one yeah we appreciate you sticking with us yeah we had a lot to talk about this week but it was a big week in sports you know as we're wrapping out this insane 2020 year we uh we're looking to go out on a high note. Absolutely. So hoping, uh, hoping we have some more fun things to talk about and hopefully more good news than bad yeah. uh, over these next few weeks, you know, as we round out the holiday season. Speaking of the holiday season, we do still have some Balls Over the Top stickers available. Two and a half inch vinyl stickers are great inside or outside. Hit us up, see if you can get your hands on one of them. They'd be great as a stocking stuffer. You know, a lot of fun, represent the show. Absolutely. And, uh, so if you want one, you got to hit us up, and you can hit us up on our social media handles. We're on both Twitter and Instagram, at B-O-T-T Podcast. Just get us in the DMs, we'll get you one. Yeah, and while you're there, if you want to, you know, shoot us any comments or, or pop us any form of, you know, likes, any interaction on there, it's always appreciated. We love hearing what you guys have to say, you know. Gives us some ideas, some thoughts, maybe some uh, some things we can bring up during our upcoming shows. And lastly, not that you really need instruction on it because you're listening to us right now, but just a reminder, you can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Oh, yeah, we Apple are... Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, just like Joe Rogan, and we're also on Anchor.fm. Yep, we are based on Anchor there, so you can find us anywhere there. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family members, you know, anybody who you are seeing this season. Yeah. Yeah. Throw them our way. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with you this Thursday for an NFL episode. Absolutely. And until then, stay safe and have fun. Yeah, wear your mask. We'll see you next time.